Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. Now your hosts. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. It's a scary week. I'm John Alois and I'm joined by Sean Degenhart. Welcome. And John Redling Schaefer. Yuck. Oh, Let's get out of here. Yuck. You mean yikes? No, I meant yuck. <laughs> well, we hope you're not saying yuck when you're listening to us. We hope we make you yuck, yuck, yuck. Oh, my. <laughs> I regret my decision. <laughs> Wherever you're listening to us, please rate and review so more people find the show. Follow us on social media. Email us at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. If you have a story idea, you can email us. If you'd like to record an idea, you can send us a recording through that email address as, as well. And once again, that's podcast at thehyperionhub.com. Let's kick things off with our Disney views and throw it over to John. All right. Well, I thank you very much. Tis the season for Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. A frightfully fun experience returns on select nights to Walt Disney World in the Magic Kingdom. You know, it's interesting those start in August, but actually run through November, so you got plenty of time. Uh, but I, I love that this is Halloween with a twist where you get to meet a bunch of characters. I think Sean's going to tell us about some of them. But it's a usual separate ticket party with a not-so-spooky spectacular fireworks show. The Hocus Pocus villain spell-tacular, where the Sanderson sisters put on a show at the castle. And then also the Boo to You Halloween Parade and the Cadaver Dance perform as the Barbershop Quartet. But again, our experience doing this once really was about the characters available. Sean, who's, who's there to look at this year? Well, you've got some of your standards with fun Halloween costumes. You know, Mickey and Minnie and Donald and Daisy. Um, the Seven Dwarfs make an appearance in en masse. You know, you can meet all of them in one setting. Perhaps the most popular is Jack and Sally from right. Nightmare Before Christmas. When I was at Disneyland during that time when you're, they were the by far the longest line. So, yeah, lots of fun opportunities, fun costumes. and Lots of chocolate. <laughs> lots of chocolate. <laughs> yeah, it's been a few years since uh, we've been there. Um, I love it. It was always fun, especially the dance parties. Were you out there boogieing down? I went the other way when I saw you dancing. <laughs> I wasn't there at the same time as you. <laughs> nice try, though. Oh! Speaking of Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, it's time for the second half of our conversation with Dave Bossert, who wrote the book, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, A Visual Companion. Well, we're moving into the uh, Halloween season, and Just in Time is another one of your most recent books. Uh, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas Visual Companion, commemorating 30 years from Disney Editions. Uh, the 1993 stop-motion animated classic is watched, I think, traditionally by homes all over the world at this point. Um, it's a coffee table-sized book. Uh, with never-before-released art and photography. We're so excited to get our hands on it. Research for this one, though, starts with your own first-hand knowledge, correct? You worked on the movie. Yeah, so I, I do want to make something really clear, though. I worked on the film. I have a screen credit as Snow Animator. Uh, and <laughs> I, 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 want to I tell people I did 
a tiny little bit of work on that movie. Do you okay? sit there and watch it and go, I did that one. I did that one. I will say the, sequ the sequence where it snows yeah. in Halloween Town, I helped create that snow with a very talented software engineer named Trin Huang. And the two of us worked on creating snow for that sequence to help out the production. That's all I did, okay? <laughs> but you were there. But, you got to see first. But I was there. I went yeah. up to Skellington. I yeah. walked around. I saw the sets. I, you know, I was at the studio when they were making it, you know. And um, uh, the cool thing was that uh, Disney Editions reached out to me and asked me if I would write this book for the 25th anniversary, <laughs> which I did. And there's a long story behind why it, it, it kind of did get out for the 25th. And part of it had to do with the fact that uh, Tim was doing the Dumbo movie. Uh, and Tim has his own designer. So the this book was being designed by Holly, who work, worked for Tim. And uh, she couldn't go on to it until she had gotten some Dumbo projects done first. And then, uh, and then there was some scheduling delays with Disney editions. And then before we know it, the pandemic hits and they wound up furloughing most of the publishing group uh, for like eight months during the pandemic back in 2020. And then uh, I, I just kind of wrote it off. I just thought, wow, you know, I, I'm, I'm so I was kind of bummed because I really put my heart and soul into the manuscript because I went. And I interviewed Henry Selleck, Tim Burton, uh, Danny Elfman, uh, most of the animators, a lot of the key people in production management and uh, puppet fabrication and various, you know, uh, departments that were involved, art direction, story, you name it. I went and talked to all these people and I tried to tell a story through the eyes of the filmmakers and the artists who crafted this beautiful film and i was i was a bit bummed and i kind of wrote it off i just figured well it's just not never going to come out i guess you know and then in the summer of 22 i get a call from the editor saying hey we're going to put it out for the 30th anniversary and I was like, cool. And they were like, you know, you got to go back into your manuscript, make some adjustments. And, you know, because uh, I, I there's a few spots where I said, you know, in 25 years on. So I had to change those to 30 years on. And and then I also had to finish up doing uh, 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 captions on a lot of photos and getting people to clear things. And because every time I interviewed somebody, I would say to them, hey, at the end of the interview, I'd go, hey, do you have any personal photos or any, you know, ephemera, keepsakes or anything that you took, you know? And and invariably, people say, oh, I got some great photos. And I was like, oh, could you scan them and send them to me? So throughout the book, there is stuff in there that people have never seen mm. before. Absolutely have never seen before. It started off kind of slow. Disney didn't know really what this was. I mean, it came out under the Touchstone label. And over the years, it has become almost its own brand. Mm -hmm. What was it like working you know, at the studio at the time? Did they know what this was? Did they understand right. what they had in their hands? No. So it, it really, you, you got to step back for a second. Tim Burton did uh, Vincent, a little stop mm -hmm. motion short at the studio. I think most people are familiar with it. And then he did a half hour live action 
uh, featurette called Frankenweenie, uh, which, you know, both of them were quirky. They, they had sort of, you could see Tim's early, you know, real uh, uh, visual style. Uh, and what wound up happening was the studio fired him after that. And so he took those two films and he went to, you know, he went out in the world and he got his first feature, which was uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Paul Rubens. I think Paul fell in love with Frankenweenie and and Vincent. And that's absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and coincidentally, Paul, Paul was a graduate of Cal arts. He went through the theater school at Cal arts. Tim went to Cal arts, you know, there's a whole Cal arts mafia thing going on. (laughs) And, um, and so, uh, Tim does, uh, Pee Wee's big adventure, which is a huge hit. Uh, and then he goes on and he does Beetlejuice. That's a big hit. Then he does Edward Scissorhands and then he, does Batman and then and then he's signed to do Batman Return and at that moment he's like the hottest director in Hollywood right mm-hmm. and so he he wants to do Nightmare Before Christmas because it's a very personal project for him and he reaches out to the studio and the studio you know uh, he he wants to find out if the studio actually owns it or if he could have it so he could go do it and the studio says yeah we own it but we'd love to do it with you. Jeffrey Katzenberg wanted to be in the Tim Burton movie business. Mm -hmm. He wanted Tim making live action films for Disney. And he didn't really, I don't think he didn't give a hoot really about nightmare before Christmas. And this is part of the genius and the success of this movie is the fact that it was done up in San Francisco. It was done by a very talented, small group of artists and they had very little oversight, right? You know, they would come down and they'd show a test scene or they'd show, you know, some of the animation and then run the film periodically. But they didn't know what the hell to do with it. and They didn't care. And they didn't know how to market it. And they thought releasing it under the Disney name was going to scare their core audience. It was too dark for their core audience. So they put it out under Touchstone. And guess what? I don't know how many years ago they stripped Touchstone off of it and they slapped Disney on it. So now it's <laughs> Disney, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. And um, you know, it it didn't it didn't do huge dollars out the gate, but it didn't do terrible. It just they didn't know how to market the movie, you know, and that that you know, if if you've got apples to sell, you got to tell everybody you got the apples. You know, and if you don't tell everybody you have apples, nobody's going to know you have them. Right. So they didn't know how to sell the movie. And uh, and so anyway, um, it's taken on a life of its own because it's a great movie and the story resonates with the audience. It resonates with so many people and and kids who saw the movie when it first came out, they're now taking their kids to see the movie. You know, and and that's the beauty of it. And it just keeps. It seems like the audience, the, the fan base, grows exponentially. You know, from year to year, it just keeps growing. Uh, I I just heard from somebody earlier today that uh, the it's the longest lines to get into the haunted mansion right now at Disneyland. The longest lines. They've never seen lines this long because they've got the Nightmare Before Christmas overlay on it. Mm-hmm. And and, you know? for, and Mickey's not so scary Halloween party. The longest lines for the character meet and greets Jack are these characters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know it, it's fantastic. It's a wonderful success story, and it also goes to show you that you don't need to overmanage 
a creative team that's working on a brilliant story, you know? Speaking of, how much did Tim Burton have, how involved was he in the production? I know it's his idea, his designs, but Henry Selleck directed it. He was there day to day. Yeah, Henry directed it. I think, you know, initially Tim thought that he was going to be able to direct it while he was doing Batman Returns. But, um, you know, his 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 production designer and good friend Rick Heinrichs really sort of talked uh, sense in him into mm-hmm. him and, and and basically said, you can't do this while you're doing Batman Returns. And I think Tim realized that early on. Uh, Henry was also a CalArts alum mm-hmm. uh, and had been in the stop motion scene up in San Francisco. He was doing Pillsbury Doughboy commercials mm-hmm. and he was doing bumpers for MTV and stuff like that. And so uh, Rick uh, Rick reached out to Henry and kind of got Henry and Tim together. It, you know, I think it took a little bit to, to get to the place where, OK, Henry's going to direct this. And and when Henry was named the director, Tim was a producer, but he was very much involved. Uh, he he was doing drawovers on Polaroids uh, of uh, the sculptures of the characters. Um, you know, he he had input into uh, the uh, voice talent. Uh, a lot of people that he had worked with over the years were involved. You know, Catherine O'Hara, who was in Beetlejuice and, you know, Paul Rubens, who he did Pee Wee's Big Adventure with. And, you know, there was there was this sort of group. Uh, Glenn Shattuck, uh, who does the t- Mayor Two-Face, you know, was also in Beetlejuice. Uh, of course, Danny Elfman was a collaborator. And, and and really, Tim and Danny were the ones they tried to do a script. Tim tried to do a script initially uh, and it just wasn't working. So they scrapped that and he went to Danny and he explained the story to Danny, but he explained it to him in little pieces and Danny would write a story. And essentially he was doing an operetta. Uh, so the 10 songs propel the story along and then they brought in caroline thompson the screenwriter who uh happened to be uh danny's girlfriend at the time and they were living together and uh and she put all the connective tissue together between the songs you know Mm -hmm. so uh so so tim was very much involved i mean it was his baby but it was also henry who brought it to the screen I mean, Henry's an incredible talent. If you look at the work he did uh, directing James and the Giant Peach and Coraline, Mm -hmm. which is one of my all-time favorite stop-motion films, and Coraline's like a masterpiece, you know? Were there any stories that stood out without spoiling anything in the book, but any discoveries that you made about Nightmare that you didn't know? Uh, Major? Major discovery. Well, I, I think there was there's an honest discussion about you know, Danny Elfman uh, orig- was the original voice of Jack Skellington, the speaking voice and the singing voice. Mm-hmm. But it became evident to Henry uh, and then Tim early on that they really needed to bring an actor in uh, uh, to do the speaking voice. And so that that was a tough conversation that they had to have with Danny. But you know what? Everybody's a professional. And I think Danny was disappointed, but he accepted it, moved on. Uh, But he is the singing voice of Jack. So anytime Jack sings, uh, it's Danny Elfman. And uh, the rest of the time, uh, it's uh, Chris Sarandon. Is that 
Chris, yes, thank you, Chris Sarandon. Well, I'll tell you, my youngest is seven, and she will not go into a Menards or a Lowe's in the fall because of the scary Halloween <laughs> decorations. But Nightmare Before Christmas is on at our house from about late July, you know, through New Year's. <laughs> so I, can't, I haven't figured that out yet, what the difference is, but, I mean, my whole family just adores and loves yeah. that movie, especially the snow. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we got uh, no yeah. You know, the the thing I would say though is that it was a, it was a very small group of animators by the way. It was only like a dozen animators uh that worked on that film. Uh and when you watch it, you you see the hand of the artist on the screen. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just beautifully crafted and and it's just uh, you know some people have called it a cult classic. I, I, I don't believe it. I, I think it's a bona fide holiday classic. It's right up there with the Rankin and Bass specials, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman, uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special that we've all, you know, watch. I watch. I've watched that every year for the last 50 plus years, you know, and uh, it, it's you know, Nightmare Before Christmas is, is part of that holiday classic of films, A Wonderful Life, Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, the the Miracle on 34th Street. It's it's right up there with all of those. So tell us about your website and tell us about your podcast, too. We love it. Oh, great. Thanks for asking. So, um, you know, I have I have a pretty robust website, davidbosser.com. Um, there's a, a bunch of stuff there. Uh, you know, if somebody lives out in Kalamazoo uh, and has one of my books and wants to get it signed, uh, they can go to my website. There's a tab for free stuff. Um, it's a pull down menu. You can get signed book plates that are specific to some of my books. You can get bookmarks. And most importantly, you can get coasters. That's right, coasters. So you can pour your favorite drink, have a coaster, and sit back with one of my books. Um, so check it out. There's also like 60 articles on various aspects of animation, animation history. So you, you can read that. It's all free content for people to read. I hope you enjoy it. DavidBosser.com. You can also go to the OldMillPress.com. They have a lot of my books and a lot of signed copies of my books, as well as other people's books, like Don uh, Ballard's uh, Disneyland Hotel book is up mm -hmm. there and uh, Matt Mason's at the corner of fantasy in Maine. And, you know, there's more coming too. I have money. I understand. So, uh, the old mill press.com. And, uh, and then finally, thank you for asking about my podcast. I always give shout outs to all the podcasters that I do interviews with on my podcast. So, um, you know, because it's a great podcasting community, I think we're all helping each other, all boats lift, right? You know, <laughs> it, it, it's the way it works. So it's the Skull Rock podcast. Uh, it's available wherever you get your podcast. We're on every known plat podcasting platform, I think, out there that I'm aware of. Apple, Amazon, if you've got an Alexa device, you can just ask her to play the latest episode. Um, the um, 
Uh, and we we've been doing a weekly show. We you know we started the Skull Rock podcast in October of 2020, really kind of at the height of the pandemic. Uh, and uh, we've been doing a weekly show ever since. So there's an archive of like 150 guests or something like that uh, in our archive. We we got just we we have a blast because we bring a lot of people on the show uh, every week. There's there's usually somebody sometimes for multiple weeks in a row. So uh, the Skull Rock Podcast. Thank you. Yeah, of course. We love it. Dave, thank you so much for being a part of our show. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I I really feel blessed that I have two books out. I mean, normally it would just be one book. And I think anybody would be thrilled to just have one book. But to have two books out this fall, I just, you know, I'm I'm just thrilled about it. So thanks for putting a spotlight on it for me. And I, I hope you guys have a great rest of the fall and wonderful holiday season. Thanks. You too. Great to have Dave back on the show. And how amazing to have two books out at the exact same time. And to have written this many books in a decade. You know, yeah. he, he put he put it well that, you know, most authors would absolutely despise him. Right. And then the success that, <laughs> yeah, we'd love for you to do that. Yeah, we'd love for you to do that. But I think any artist or anyone in life would love to hear that over and over uh-huh. and over. But it's a testament to the work that he can do. For our friends in Southern California, Nightmare Before Christmas in concert at the Hollywood Bowl. Woo-hoo. Yeah, October wow. 27th through the 29th. So if you have an opportunity to, to see something like that in person uh, with a full orchestra, take advantage of it. Wherever you're listening to us, please rate and review some more people find the show. Follow us on social media. Email us at podcast at com. Have a great one, everyone. We're glad you could join us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email or send us a recorded audio message at podcast at the hyperionhub.com find us on social media on facebook instagram and twitter the hyperion hub is not affiliated with the walt disney company or its subsidiaries we'll meet you next time at the hyperion hub